Good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. It's good to have you with us this morning. My name's Tim, and I'm glad you could be here at Greater Alton Church uh, this morning and uh, worship with us. We're going to do something special for the Lord's Supper, something a little different, and hope you'll participate in it as well. So it's Easter Sunday. Um, you all get up early this morning, by any chance, any of you? Watch the sunrise? I sure did. Uh, you know, you think about uh, Easter um, there's two big Sundays in churches or that we have. There's the Christmas one and then there's the Easter one. You know what I'm talking about? And, it's, it, and Easter just seems to have all of the, the PR work done for it, doesn't it? I mean, you've got Christmas songs like crazy. No one ever says there's only this many days, shopping days until Easter. Nobody says that. It's always Christmas, am I right? And, and so you have this idea, you know, there's all these Christmas specials, uh, movies. I mean, I'm not saying there's no Christmas. We, we're, we tried to watch uh, Peter Cottontail. Uh, an old claymation. People did Frosty the Snowman. It just doesn't have the snap of Frosty. It seems like Easter doesn't get the the attention as much as Christmas does. And yet Easter is a bigger day. It is the day that changed everything. And so today what I want to do is I want us to look at that a little bit. Now before we get started on your notes, you'll probably got some notes if you'd like to follow along. We're going to look at four things that Easter changed. There's several, much, much more than the four I'm covering today, but I wanted to cover these four. Before we do that, I want us to look at some scriptures together if we can. Do we have any PowerPoint today? If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to John chapter 20... We're going to start reading in John chapter 20. You can find it on your smartphone or whatever. You can look, or you can look up here on the screen. One of the things I've noticed is, is that when, when Easter began, when, when Jesus was crucified, everybody thought it was over. Everybody thought this thing is done. The Jews are like, good, we, got him, we, we took him through, I think there were six different courts, different trials that Jesus went through, and they couldn't get, stick anything on him until he claimed to be the Son of God, and that was the one that stuck because that was true. The rest were lies. And they finally are able to go, good, we've got him where we want him, let's crucify him. And when it was all over, said, and done, they're thinking, it's all over, said, and done. This lunatic is finally gone. The Romans thought it was over. Can you imagine those soldiers packing up all their execution tools or whatever they have, and they're packing up after the crucifixion? Well, it's over. And the guy didn't even put up much of a fight. In fact, he died before the other two fellas did. Uh, it's a wrap, guys. It's done. We're, we're done here. But did you know this? Even the followers of Jesus, even the disciples of the 120 that we find out that are gathering together in the book of Acts, they all think it's over too. No one thought Jesus was coming back. They thought he was dead. And therefore, Easter was over with before it started. <laughs> Let's look at some passages here, in, up here on the screen or in your Bibles. We're going to read out of the NIV. John chapter 20. Let's look at verses 1 through 2 together. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's, by the way, whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, why is Mary going to the tomb to begin with? She's going to visit a grave. She's not going to see an empty tomb. She's going there to visit a grave. You know, after we're done here, I'm going to go visit a friend of mine I've known for quite a long time. His name's Vernon Matthews. I'm going to go by the cemetery and see him. 
you know, see his place where he's buried, basically. I'd, I like to go by once or twice a year, and I'm planning to do that after I'm done here. He's just buried right over here somewhere, you know. And so, I, and what am I, am I, am I expecting to see an empty grave? No. Mary's the same way. She's not expecting to see anything. In fact, she assumes that the body has been stolen. I mean, think about it. They, they, first they whipped him. They, 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 they mocked him. And then they killed my Lord. And my goodness, to make things worse, they've taken the body. How low can you go? And she's just feeling awful about it. And so she tells Peter and John, hey, they've taken the body. Now, if you notice here, uh, uh, and she's going in the tomb, and she looks, you'd think, the tomb is empty. She should be excited. She's not. She thinks the body has been stolen. Now, let's look at verses 3 through 10. So Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think that's because John was younger. He bent over and looked at the the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. That's because he's older. He knows what he's doing. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Hallelujah. I've read this verse for 30 some years and I never noticed what that verse meant that though he saw and believed that just sounds the tomb is empty he saw and believed but when you look at it closely what is he seeing and what is he believing he's believing the tomb is empty he sees that but he doesn't believe Jesus is risen how do you know that Tim look at the next part there in the parentheses they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had been risen from the dead then the disciples went back to where they were staying. The disciples look inside. The tomb is empty. They believe. Hallelujah. Wait a minute. There's no hallelujah going on. There's no high fives. No, what's going on is they believe something. They believe Mary. They believe the body has been stolen. And they go home. I mean, what would you do? Where, where will you go? When you see something and you're depressed, you're discouraged, I think I'll just go home and lie down. I think I'll just go home. And they go home, and the Bible says they lock the doors. They lock themselves inside. They don't believe Jesus has come back from the dead. Mary sticks around. While these guys are going back and going back to the safety of their home, she's still lingering around the tomb. It's good for us to remember it. Because when you linger around Jesus long enough, he's going to show you something awesome. And look at this. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept and she bent over to look. In the, now she goes in the tomb now. And saw two angels in white. See, she saw something better. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Good question. Why are you crying? Heaven's asking, why are you crying? And she says, well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. How come? She wasn't looking for him alive. She wasn't expecting him to be alive. She was looking for his body, dead, dead. And there's Jesus standing alive. 
I mean, wouldn't that freak you out if you went to somebody's funeral and then you, they show up? Would you, would you, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen somebody that looks a lot like the person you went to a funeral of and did a double take like, what? After my father passed away, I've seen two men on this planet that looked exactly like him. And I had to do a double take because I'm going, wait a second. I did the funeral. I know that's not my father. So she's not even looking. I'm not even looking for the, And, and he, she's not even looking for Jesus. He asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she just said her name, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, uh, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet assembled or ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, and I love this statement. This is some amazing, he says. I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. Now, <laughs> I wonder if the disciples go, Oh, you found the body? No, she's not saying that. She said, I've seen him alive. And she, she tells them all the things that he has said to them and passes on the word, in other words. So here she is at one time crying and weeping out of sadness. Now she is just like a switch is flipped and it's changed everything. She sees him alive and she's running to tell the disciples. Can't wait to tell them. He's risen. He's risen. If you check out uh, Luke 24, verse 11, the disciples think she's speaking nonsense, which means she's cuckoo. They think she's crazy. Now let's read the rest of here of John 20. On the evening of the first day of the week. Now this, is, this started early in the morning. Now it's in the evening. His, when the disciples were together, the doors, the, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they don't believe he's come back. They think they're next. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now why is he saying that? Everybody calm down. Everybody, peace be with you because they're all worked up inside in turmoil and he's saying I'm alive you have nothing to worry about what a lesson what a thought because Jesus is alive you and I have nothing to worry about we can have peace you can have peace because of Easter after this after, after this he showed him his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed it means they were overloaded with excitement because the lord they saw the lord themselves now think about this here's some guys that are totally discouraged totally sad and it's almost like somebody has hit a three point shot out of nowhere and changed the whole game i was going to i originally called this lesson at the buzzer because we were doing the basketball theme. But I wasn't sure that would be good because is it a three-point shot, a shot out of desperation? And Jesus wasn't desperate. He knew exactly what he was doing. But just like a three-point shot, well, there was a, a couple of weeks ago, there, I was going to show you a, a YouTube video of a three-point shot during this 
basketball tournament right now, and, and it was amazing. They show you the, the TV's version of it, and the place goes crazy when he hits the three-point shot. But then they have a guy right underneath another YouTube video of a guy with his cell phone. And it's somebody behind him shooting him, shooting the, this, getting a video of this, of this last shot. And the place goes bananas. He's sitting in the stands with, with the fans that are behind and instantly, they go from oh, anxiety and worry and tension to ah, and their phone's going shaking crazy. And I can just imagine that's what's going on here. The disciples are like, oh my God, yeah! And they're high-fiving, you're alive! I can't believe it! Well, you, it's time you, you do. It's time you do, guys. The tomb was empty. Yeah, but you know. But now that we see you, why... Th- I've got to admit, Jesus, this changes everything. And that's what Easter is. It's a day that changes everything. Well, what kind of changes are you talking about, Tim? Let me give you four. Let me give you four. Let's go through our notes now. In other words, the resurrection changed everything. So because of Easter, number one, I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. That's the first thing I want you to see. Hey, that's good news. I don't know about you, but can we just be honest this morning, if, as many as possible? If we were to make a list of our sins, <laughs> I don't know if it'd be impressive or not impressive. You know what I mean? One in the sense of going, you did that, you did that, you did that, or, oh my, look at the long list we have. I mean, how long would your list be? And what would be the things on that list? I think about on my list. I think about lust. I think about on that list would be things like lying and cheating and misleading, manipulating, laziness. I just think, I'm just thinking, as I, I mean, I guess I'd have to write chapters on my list because, okay, under laziness, well, (laughs) I just think about. I think about me personally. What I've said, what I've done, the people I've hurt. And by the way, it's not just the sin hasn't just hurt them, it's hurt me personally. My sin has hurt me. And maybe that's why I, I hurt people. Is it true? Hurt people hurt people? It just, it just seems to, man, that list can get long, can't it? We all mess up, we all make mistakes. And with that comes this shame and this guilt. I've downloaded something. I've listened to something. I've watched something on TV. I'm on cable. And it's it, uh, uh, money. Do I have to. Under the chapter of money, what would you put? Lied about this? Got cash instead of paid by check? Got paid under the table. Told people I gave this, but I didn't. You know, I hide hide my money here. I did whatever. It's just on and on and on the list goes, doesn't it? And with that comes guilt. With that comes shame. It's it just plays this insecurity game with us. You looked at me a certain way. You must know. 
Does anybody else besides me feel like that sometimes? Where if the preacher looks at you, he must have known. I remember sitting in the pew going, if the preacher looks at me right now, he must be talking to me. <laughs> Which one did he look at? Was it me, me, him, him, me, me, him? <laughs> he was looking at me. He must know. I don't have a clue. I finally got in the pulpit and I discovered something. I don't have a clue. I don't know what you've been doing. I don't know what you've been saying. Facebook doesn't tell us everything. No, we make mistakes. We blow it. Everyone does it. And so it's just safe to say you and I are going through moments of guilt and shame. We see someone and we think they know or I hurt them and we just don't, can't look them in the eye. We hang our head. Disciples hanging their head going to the tomb. Hanging their head walking down the road of Emmaus. Mary hanging her head around an empty tomb. They shouldn't be hanging their heads at all, right? We think, you guys are so stupid. Well, are you really sure they're the ones being stupid? Don't we hang our heads right in the middle of His grace? Right in the middle of His forgiveness? We still get this guilt, this shame going on. God never intended you and I to live with guilt and shame and regrets. You understand? God never intended you and I to walk around every day with this heavy cloud of guilt and shame and regret. Now you say, well, Tim, I've got to admit, though, there's some times when you know, you've made me feel guilt and shame. Well, look, I, I think guilt and shame is good like a, like a motorcycle, like a Kickstarter, to get it started. But you can't live on guilt and shame. Sometimes I need to feel guilty. Sometimes I need to feel a little shame. Oh, I need to work on that. But I can't live on that, and you can't either. So God d- didn't come here, and Easter wasn't here to, to rid us of, or to, to um, leave us with nothing but guilt and shame the rest of life. It came here to take us and make us free of that. Look at this passage in, first, in Ephesians 1. It says, Through the blood of His Son, we are set free from our sins. God forgives our failures because of His overflowing kindness. It's because of the cross, because of a cross, that Jesus comes and says, I'm going to free you of your sin, your guilt, your shame, that stuff that that hangs over you and keeps you from truly living. I was was reading a... I like to read a lot of sermons when I'm prepping, and I'm reading a particular sermon. And um, Rick Warren puts out a put out a question: Who put Jesus on the cross? Great question. Who put Jesus on the cross? He said, "Well," and he says, "Not the Romans. They really didn't put. It wasn't the Jews. Two put Jesus on the cross. God and everyone else." In other words, he's saying, God and me, God and you. And you may say, God? God put him on the cross? Absolutely. He did it on purpose. When you read Isaiah 53, you can't help but notice the same two are mentioned over and over again in Isaiah 53. Written 750 years before it would take place. Jesus said in Isaiah 53, verse 6, and look up on the screen, The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who laid the iniquity, the sin of all mankind on Jesus? God did. He says God did that. Verse 10, It was God's will to crush him 
and cause him to suffer. It was the will of God. Why would, why would God want to do that? So you and I wouldn't have to live with guilt and shame and regrets all of our life. So we could be free from the bondage of sin. Look, it says in verse 12, God rewards Jesus by giving him power and honor. The Lord will reward with honor and power him with honor and power for sacrificing his life. Others thought he was a sinner. But he suffered for our sins. There's you and I right there. And asked God to forgive us. Isn't that what he said on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who put Jesus on the cross? God did. You and I did. And because of Easter, because of Easter, and somebody needs to hear this this morning, so listen, I don't know if it's you who you are, you don't have to live with all your wrongs anymore. You don't have to... Listen, some of you here need to quit nailing you to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. So you don't have to nail yourself all the time. Say, I'm a bad person all the time. He must think you're wonderful. He, there's no other reason, way to explain it. Because Easter says, I love you with everything I've got. And I don't want you to live with your mistakes. Learn from them, sure, but not live through them every day and for the rest of your life. Look what it says here in Romans 4. I love this verse. Here's the International Children's Bible. So you know it's going to make sense if it's for kids. Jesus was given to die for our sins. And look what it says here. And he was raised from death to make us right with God. Praise God. Easter's about making us right. It's about dealing with our sin. It says in Romans 8, verse 34, Who can say God's people are guilty? No one. That's in the Bible. Who can say God's people are guilty? Nobody can. Nobody can. Because, why? Because Jesus Christ died, but he has also, was also raised from the dead. And now he is on God's right side, appealing to God for us. What's he saying? Well, we just read in Isaiah, Father, forgive him. Here's, here comes Tim, Jesus. Yeah, I know. Do you hear what he said last week? Did you see what he did? Yeah, I know, but we, we, he's covered. He is? Yeah. He is. He, he doesn't have to hold his head down. He, look, I, he's took care of. Come on, Tim. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Goodbye. You, know. you don't have to hang your head in shame in front of God. You don't, but why? Because you have Jesus constantly appealing on your behalf to say he's forgiven that wrong doesn't count against him he's justified just as if he'd done nothing wrong that's one of the biggest to me that's, that changes the game guys that changes everything when you stop and think about it I don't have to be burdened by my sin anymore number two East, why is, how does Easter change everything? Well, Easter changes everything because I can have God's power to change my life. This is a big one. Yeah, I, I've been around a while and I've learned something. There are some things I just can't change by myself. I remember as a kid, 
Mom used to dress me, and I finally said, I can do this. I can do this by myself. I can tie my shoes by myself. I can put on my pants by myself. Then I got married and found out I really didn't know what I was doing. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, we're reminded again. But, no, but seriously, I just remember wanting to be independent. I can do that. I can do that. Stop being, you know, stop mothering me and smothering me. I can do this. I want to stand on my own. And, 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 and don't we? Don't we love that? We want to be able to grab life, you know, by the horns and take control. And, but there's some things you just can't do on your own. You know, when someone says, suck it up, buttercup, you just go, really? Is that going to work? Sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes grabbing yourself by your own bootstraps, there's no boots. Or you don't have the strength to pull yourself up. There are just some things you and I can't change in our conduct or in our character by our own power. Now you may say, well, I think sometimes we just need to have a little more willpower. And I, you know, I tend to think that too. More willpower, that's the trick. More willpower won't work. First of all, you've only got so much of it. Secondly, it doesn't last. As soon as you get tired and weary, guess what happens? You go back to your old habit. So willpower is not enough. You need more power than willpower. And Easter gives you and I access to this power, to resurrection power. And that changes everything when you stop and think about it. Ephesians 1, look at this. Paul said, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. Would you underline that, to help those who believe him? That's important. That's important. Okay? It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the, from the dead. See, the good news is God's power is, is available to help you change. Help you with that habit. With that, with that marriage. With, the, with finances, with strongholds, with weaknesses, with things that have been in your life, you go, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to overcome this. But with the, with the help of God, with His power, the same that turned a dead, turned a corpse into a living tissue can change whatever you think is dead in your life. How do I get that power? Well, I'm going to tell you. I've got to level with you. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to have that power available to you. If you've not made Christ Lord, if He's not Lord of your life, He's Lord already. But if you haven't agreed with Him and surrendered to Him, you're not, you don't have that power available to you. So that's why it's so important that you look. Look at Jesus seriously. And follow Him become a Christian look what it says in Romans 6 verse 4 when we were baptized into his death we were placed into the tomb with him as Christ was brought back from death to life by the glorious power of the Father so we too should live a new kind of life he's saying there's a new life new power available to me but it's when I die I go in the tomb with him. And it's not just getting baptized. It's about a whole big decision of surrendering to Jesus. Now, 
when I, when I do this, He gives me the power to start over. He gives me the power to break habits. He gives me the power to heal wounds and relationships. He gives me the power of a second wind to keep going when I'm ready to give up. He gives me this power that's called, that leads to a new life, a changed life, a transformed life. And like I say, it's very important. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you right with God this morning? And I want to say, those of us here, you might may be a Christian going, you know, Tim, uh, what you're telling me is I have this power available, but I don't seem to be making any changes. Uh-huh. And what's your point? It's available to you. Yeah, but I don't understand. Why is it not available? Or I mean, why, if it's available, why is it not working? I think you already know the answer to that, don't you? Does it have something to do with trusting the Lord? Just because I become a Christian doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm this instant perfect person. I'm still working and changing and trusting the Lord. I don't stop seeking God and obeying His Word and repenting and following Him. After my baptism, it goes on for the rest of my life. And I I wish I could tell you uh, some magic statement that would make it possible for God's resurrection power to work in your life. But to be honest, you've got to figure that out. I know for me personally, it has something to do with trusting Jesus. When He says something, will I believe it and will I obey it? That's what unleashes the power. Jesus laid down His life, let others help Him in a tomb, and the power resurrected him. What if he had disobeyed the Lord? What if he had stayed, kept everybody at arm's distance and stay away from me? No, see, there's something going on here. I have this power and I, I make it, I unleash it. That's available to me. I unleash it when I trust the Lord and I begin to put it into practice. Number three. Because of Easter, my life has greater purpose and meaning. It has greater purpose and meaning. You know, I think about the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. The Garden of Eden was just a perfect place when you stop and think about it. You know, here's Adam and Eve, and they got it made. I wonder what the temperature is. I think a nice, you know, 75 degrees, maybe, I don't know, year-round. It was just, it was paradise, what made it, what made it made, probably made it so good was, I don't know if it was the temperature or the garden aspect of it all, but it was the, the idea that Adam and Eve could walk with God every day. They could be with God, close to God, every day. There's something good about that. You're safe. You're secure. And here they are just having, having a, this is going on. And then sin comes along and just wrecks it all. Just wrecks everything. You see Adam and Eve's focus go from heavenward and toward God to themselves. And selfishness for the first time appears on our planet. And it's been raining ever since. Isn't that really the root of everything? Every problem we have? It's our selfishness. It goes from focusing on God to focusing on my, me. It's, it's, it's I've taken my life and going, okay, instead of God, what you made me to be, it's what I want it to be. Somehow I'm wanting, 
I, I deserve and I should want, I'm after the pursuit of happiness and not God's holiness. It's just a different life. Those of us here, you know, we're Americans and we, and we really, we've got, we've got this virus that says, you deserve a break today. You are entitled. This is, by the way, I want to say for us, for you, those of you who are millennials, younger generation, I'm the old fogey now. Uh, back in the 70s when I was a young fella, we had the same problem. We thought we were entitled to. And I've got a feeling I haven't outgrown it. I still feel sometimes I deserve happiness. And God's like, I want to give you holiness. Adam and Eve were about, I want to find what, what makes me happy instead of, it used to be, what about what, what made God happy? And his sin has just distorted it and made a cesspool out of our world now. But Easter changed all that. See, what Easter did was, God said very clearly, you're important to me, and I want to make you holy. I want to restore that paradise of the Garden of Eden. Somehow I want to get back to that. And see, the resurrection now gives me purpose and meaning like nothing else, because it's a new life that Jesus gives me. It's a different life. Look at this in Colossians 3. Paul said it this way, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things... I'm having competition here. Think about things... You know what she's saying? Hurry up. Okay. I'm hurrying. I'll hurry. Think, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, you just said something here. He said, look, there is a, there's life that you have, then there's a new life God wants you to have. And then he makes a contrast. He says, the life that you want to have is a life focused on the things of earth, and the life that God wants you to have is things that are the things of heaven. He says, for you died to this life. What life? The earth life. And your real life... The heavenly life, Garden of Eden life, what you were created to be life, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, it's a relationship with God that makes this real life happen, folks. When you're Christ, your life, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. That sounds so cool. So amazing. See, Easter changes my priorities from focusing on earthly things to start focusing on heavenly things. Easter gets your attention. It's someone from heaven coming down to earth that's so selfish and vain and says, let me tell you what you really need to be looking at. What can I do to really get your attention? I know what I'll do. I'll resurrect a dead body and it'll never die again. He says, focus on that. Like I've said a minute, a second ago, you and I are here, you and I are here, not just here to exist and use up some resources and die. And, and maybe have a little happiness along the way. You and I are here to find and experience the holiness 
of a real life with Christ. A new life. A transformed life. A restored life that sin has somehow made you and I lose and difficult to find. We're, our new life now is dedicated to living for the glory of God. Look at this passage in Romans 6. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead. Again, he's talking about Easter. And he will never die again. Alan just mentioned that a few minutes ago. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. He said, just like Jesus, who died and resurrected, when you become a Christian, when you've put on Christ and went to this grave called baptism, you come out, it's a brand new life, a real life, and it's a life dedicated to giving glory to God. That's why he says, don't let, do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to lustful desires. He goes, don't, don't waste it on that. That's earthly stuff. No, focus on the heavenly thing. The heavenly th- thoughts. What's, how, does say, how does the Bible say? Whatever's pure, whatever's right, whatever's godly, noble. Think of these things. What gets me in trouble and gets you in trouble, guys, is we start thinking about earthly things. Then we wonder why we're having such trouble. What's well, because we've got all these earth concepts in our head that don't believe there's a resurrection, that doesn't believe there's anything left. That it's better, I better get what I can. Kind of like egg glow this, this past Friday. I watch parents going, go, 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 go. And the kids are scrambling trying to get every egg they can. And someone said, man, what's wrong with the parents? They've got the virus. The same virus you got. Same virus I got. We're selfish. And yet Jesus comes and dies on the cross to deliver us from this and says there's a much better life than what you can come up with, Tim. Would you just trust me with it? We're getting ready to take communion. There you go. You ready? Okay, we're going to take communion. And what I want to, what we're going to do is we've got this cross up here, and we've got chicken wire around it. It doesn't look really cool. Chicken wire. I mean, so when I say chicken wire on the cross, don't you go, that's tacky. There's something wrong with that. And um, we want the ushers... We're going to have some ushers up here. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take a moment. We're going to remember Jesus. And we're going to remember how God took something ugly and turned it into something beautiful. What we have, we have many of you may have brought your own flowers. We have flowers up here. And when you, we're going, those of you can, if you'd like to come up here and you can, Take the Lord's Supper, and if you come up here, you can put a flower, just stick it in somehow, you know, in and, and this chicken wire. We're going to watch this cross transform into something beautiful. And we're hoping, we're hoping we get done. We're going to see something, something so ugly turn into something so wonderful and beautiful right before our very eyes. It's the same thing God wants to do with you. All that ugliness, things you're ashamed of, cross is an ugly thing. It's an it's a, it's a instrument of death. 
And yet, this ugly thing, the paradox of the cross is God takes something ugly and turns it into something wonderful. And God wants us to understand this morning here on Easter, God took a dead body, made it alive. He can take you and turn you into something wonderful and beautiful when you trust Him. So we're going to, let's pray, and then we're going to let the worship team take it from here. And if you want to make your way up here, if you cannot make it up here, you'd rather stay seated, just lift your hand and someone will, one of the ushers will bring you some, you know, bring you uh, the emblems, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for this moment to pause and think about about Easter. I know, Father, a lot of times I think Easter is just the resurrection, but it's, it's the cross and the resurrection, Father. I think about how ugly and brutal. Watch, I've only watched the Passion once, Father. I can't see it again. It's just too brutal, too hard. And yet, Father, I know something so brutal, so ugly, so humiliating, so gross, you turn into something so great. You redeem mankind. You redeem me. You redeem all of us here. Father, as we remember, as we remember uh, Easter, Father, we go back in our minds, our concept, our thoughts, the script, what the Scripture taught us, what was going on the very first time, the very first week. Father, help us see that you want to transform our lives and, and restore and create a new thing, a new creation in us, Father. The world needs to see that taking place. Oh, let it begin, Father. Let it be, for some of us here, let it begin in us. For some of us here, let it continue in us so the world can see the transforming power of your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Because of Easter, there's one last thing I want to point out to you this morning here on Easter Sunday, okay? Because of Easter, I can be secure with my future. You can be secure. I don't know if you're, how many of you are afraid to die. But a lot of people are. One of the striking things about the, the early church, the Christians, his, this is historical record by historians and, and both, both secular, non-Christian, and Christian, was how the early Christian faced problems and persecution with peace and security and hope. It's just, it was, in fact, Romans, um, a lot of Romans would say, these people are different. They don't worry when things don't go their way. They don't demand their own way. They seem to be secure and believe that God, whatever He decides to do with them, is okay with them. And it's because they, it's like they believe that they're going to be all right. And that's exactly what the resurrection tells you and I. When all is said and done, it says, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Remember the story of Lazarus? He'd been dead for four days. I remember the, as a kid, the King James says, behold, he stinketh. I'll never forget that. And, and Martha is saying, you don't want to go in there. It's bad in there. It stinks. He's been dead too long. And Jesus says, well, he's not dead. 
And Martha's almost, I guess, almost a sarcastic flavor. She goes, well, of course, he's going to, when the resurrection occurs, I guess, yeah, he'll be alive. And then Jesus says these words. He says to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Everyone who believes, and this is important, everyone who believes in me will have life even if they die. In fact, he goes on and says in verse 26, they will never die. Wait a minute, Jesus. What are you trying to say? I'm telling you, Tim, if you trust me, even though you die physically, you're not, that's not the end of you. No matter what happens to you, whatever problem you're going through, it's not the end of you. It doesn't have to defeat you because there's more beyond. Because you have a secure future. The resurrection says that, Tim. Man, they killed me. They thought it was over. But my future was still intact. And I come out of the grave to tell everyone who follows me they can have that same hope. Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. This is a promise in the Bible. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. He promises that to you. That's why the early Christian didn't worry. They knew they were going to be okay. That's what I love about Easter. That's what I love about the resurrection. God is saying, no matter what happens to you, you have nothing to fear. You don't have to live in fear of the unknown. I've told you what's going to happen. I'm going to take care of you. Now I want to wrap up this this lesson this morning by reading 1 Corinthians 15, a passage, just a passage of it. The whole premise of 1 Corinthians 15 is they're arguing over the resurrection. Some people are saying it did not take place. Some people says it has. And the Apostle Paul gives us something to think about as we think about the resurrection. He says these words beginning in verse 29. And I'm going to read out of the message because I think the message, paraphrase, really captures what we're talking about this morning. Look at what Paul says. If there's no chance of resurrection for a corpse, if God's power stops at the cemetery gates... Why do we keep doing things that suggest he's going to clean the place out someday, pulling everyone up on their own, uh, on their own feet alive? And why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if, it wasn't, if I wasn't convinced that your resurrection and mine was guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah Jesus? Great question. Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, hoping it, would be, uh, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not in your life. It's resurrection. Resurrection. Always resurrection. That undergirds what I do and say the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat, we drink, and the next day we die. And that's all, that's all it is. That's all there is. But don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. This morning, really, you have a choice you're making. Do you believe the resurrection took place? And and church, if you're a Christian, I want you to know the resurrection has took place. And I would encourage you to let Easter, not Christmas, but Easter, undergird your faith right now. I know some of you are going through some stuff. I know it. 
How do I know? How do you know, Tim? You just said you don't know anything. I know you're going through stuff because I'm going through stuff. It's just part of life. We live in this broken, busted world. But Easter gives you the hope of knowing God will take care of you. You just keep trusting Him. Let the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, plug into it. Trust it. Trust the Lord. And let the resurrection transform you into something ugly, into something beautiful. I'm going to pray right now, and we're going to uh, give you time. If you got, There's a little card in your bulletin. If you'd like to write out a prayer request or a comment, I don't know. Maybe you're making a decision today. Why not make it? I know some of you here, you know, you've been through the ringer, and sometimes you might wonder, does God care about you? Oh, my goodness, He cares about you so much. And if you're going through some times of sorrow, some suffering, I, I'm just gonna, I just want to ask you, I want to urge you, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord again if you have to. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Easter proves that. But if you'd like to write something on a card, we're going to sing a song while you do that, and then we'll sing another song, and we'll collect the, all those cards al- along with the re- our regular contribution, and then send you on home. So have a happy Easter. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty, so your life can be filled with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the, the, the thought of Easter, the resurrection, Lord, the power that you displayed in bringing Jesus back to life. Father, I, I look at John 20, and I think I'm a lot like Mary Magdalene or Peter or John. There's times when I just I doubt the resurrection. I doubt the power of it, Lord. There's times I, I see things all around me going to heck in a handbasket, and I think, you know, where is your power? And, Father, I, I, sometimes I don't think I'm expecting you to work, and so I miss it. And I, Father, pray that... That for those of us, those who feel the same way, that we sometimes just miss your power, help us focus on it today. Help us let, it, let today begin, be the beginning of focusing on how your resurrection gives give us hope. Lord, I know some people here, their marriage is dead. Their finances are dead. Their job outlook is dead. Their body is dying. Father, there's death all around us. And Father, as I, as I catch the scent of flowers on this cross, I think about how a dead thing is so beautiful now. Father, I pray, I pray with all my heart, you'll encourage with your Holy Spirit people here who are just going through moments of death to know there's life ahead, great life, new life, restored life by just trusting you. There are people here, Father, that are sick. And you know, I want, I, want my, I want my sister-in-law well. I want my friends well. I want my family well, Father. But, Father, I know you have something planned better. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you can, you can take something so awful as cancer or leukemia or a heart attack or just overall sickness and turn it into something beautiful. And Father, I pray you do that. You do that in the lives of people that sickness is touching now and do it in mine when sickness visits me. But Father, I pray most of all, all of us here will just catch, catch a little glimpse of what Easter is all about, that it's a day that's supposed to change everything in our lives. Let it begin today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.